0: Year was 1992. In Suffolk, England, there was a guy named Peter Watling. Peter Watling was just an ordinary average farmer. Here's his picture. He was leasing land, farming the land, just trying to get by. And one day as he was working on his land, the day's coming to an end and he realizes he's wrapping the day up, he feels his tool belt and realizes His hammer has fallen off somewhere in the field. Now, he knew he needed to find that hammer. One, because it was his good hammer, and no guy likes to lose his good hammer, right? But two, he also realized that if he didn't find his hammer and he ran across that field with a piece of farm equipment that was to catch that hammer, it would cause a whole lot of monetary damage. So he looked and he looked and he looked till the sun went down. Peter couldn't find his hammer. So the next morning he went up, he got up and he went to his neighbor's house. Eric Laws was his name. Eric is a retired gardener who lived next door who had two things, time and a metal detector. So he invited Eric to come over and help him look for this missing hammer. And the two looked and looked and looked. And then all of a sudden as Eric was looking, beep, 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 beep. He found something. So he began to look for the hammer. He didn't see the hammer. Maybe it got covered up in some dirt. And as he began to move the dirt, he picked something up. It was a spoon. And it looked to be an antique spoon. So he looked some more. He found another spoon. So he called Peter over. And the two began to look. And as they looked a little bit further They found some jewelry and they began to look a little bit more and they realized they were on to something. Now, at that time, under English law, if you were to find what you thought might be ancient treasure, you were to contact the authorities immediately and notify them. What would you do? Right? I mean, Peter, though, was a good guy. He told Eric, stop right now. Let's just stop They called the police, they called the city council, and by the next morning, there was a team of archaeologists that descended upon Peter's little plot of farmland and began a dig site. And as they began to dig, they found coins, they found medallions, they found jewelry, they found silverware, they found a lot of treasure. They found a chest, as a matter of fact, that chest was full of compartments and bags, over 14,000 gold, silver, bronze, coins, along with all the other treasure that was found. It's now known as the Hoxney Horde. It is to date the largest uncovered treasure that has been found of the old Roman Empire. Found right in Peter Watling's Field. And as you can imagine, him and Eric Laws were elated until they found out that the treasure that they found was to be the property of anyone who could prove legitimate ownership as a relative. Well, there wasn't anyone who could do that. So then it became the property of England. Everything that they had just found, they saw it hauled away. Two days later, though, they find out some really good news. Although they cannot keep their treasure, they would be paid face value for their treasure to the tune of $4.5 million. A check was made out to Eric Laws, the man with the metal detector. Now, Eric was a good guy, and he knew... That he would have never been on Peter's land if it weren't for him inviting him over with his metal detector to look for this lost hammer. And so they decided to split the $4.5 million down the middle. That's a good day, right? So they split it. I don't know what you're all wanting to know. Did they find the hammer? Yes. They found the hammer. And Peter, too, decided that day that he was was going to be retired. He donated his hammer to be part of the display and the story that is now part of a museum. We love a good treasure story, right? Hearing about somebody that comes across something that's so fascinating. You know, you hear these stories about... Somebody that goes to a yard sale and buys a velvet Elvis or something only to discover there's a Rembrandt hiding back behind it. Or they buy a couch at a thrift store only to discover the Declaration of Independence or something inside of it, right? One story I love, uh, this happened just about a year ago up in North Texas in the Dallas area. There was a developer who had bought some, some older homes and was going to tear them down and put in you know, new track homes, just like we see all over the place. So he was doing this, and as they began to tear down one of the houses, they noticed something strange in the walls up in Flower Mound. There, in fact, was an 1860s cabin, the oldest known structure in that part of Texas, that was inside their house. How freaky is that, right? I mean, they had built walls around it over the years. The former owners had no idea that there was an 1860s cabin within their house. They discovered treasure within there. We all love a good treasure story. We all love the idea of discovering something of great value. You've probably done it too, right? I mean, you've been over at grandma's house and been like, knocked on the walls thinking, Grandpa was kind of crazy. He probably hid some money in here or something, right? Or you've gone by a garage sale and kind of looked and thought, I don't think they know what they have here. Maybe I should get that for $10, right? Or we've all probably done this one, right? It gets freezing here in San Antonio, 60 degrees, you know? And so we bust out that jacket from last winter so, so that we'll survive through the day. And, and when we put our hands in our pockets, we realize a $5 bill, And we feel like we just hit the lottery, right? Because you didn't know you left money in your pocket. We all love the idea of discovering some hidden treasure. So it's no wonder why on this day as Jesus is teaching people, there's a crowd that's gathered around him. And so in order for him to be able to speak to them without everybody just jumping up on him, he steps into a boat and he pushes it back offshore where he can get a good look at everybody. And he knows that people like buried treasure. So he says, let's go there. Let's talk about that. Because that's not just something in our day that we think is cool. You know, finding some treasure in a field. It was something fascinating to the people in the Bible as well. You see, in the Bible, they didn't have a bank on every corner like we have. Where you take your paycheck and you put it in there. Or maybe you inherited some jewelry from great-grandma or whatever. So you're going to get a safety deposit box. Put it in there and make sure it's, it's safe. They didn't have any of that. So if you had something in the Bible that at times it was of great value, do you know what you needed to do? Hide it. And you better hide it good, right? So a lot of people would bury it in a place where only they knew where it was and hope that nobody would find it. Or maybe even if you had saved up some money, you might consolidate it into jewels or gold or something of great value. So you've got this great value into a smaller bundle. And then still... You need to go hide it. As the Bible says, where thieves cannot break in and steal and moth and rust cannot destroy. You need to protect that somewhere. So the people who are sitting out there like you are today, listening to Jesus speak, they understood this as Jesus is about to talk about treasure. They're on the same page as him. So Jesus says, let's go there. Let's talk about treasure. Now, we started the series on the parables, and these are short stories that Jesus told, but really it's a change in teaching style. We're going to start in Matthew chapter, thir- uh, Matthew chapter 13 today. But in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Jesus hasn't been telling stories. All of a sudden, he's changing gears in his teaching style. Why is he doing that? Well, you see, in verses 1 through 12, he's really been laying out the case that he is the Messiah. He is the one that God has promised for generation after generation after generation. He is God himself in the flesh. And in these days, you can't just say that. Because if you were to say that, that was punishable by death. So either Jesus is totally whacked out of his mind, or he is really who he claimed to be, and he's proving that by the way he's living his life and the miracles that are happening all around his life. He's proving that. So all through the first 12 chapters... He's building his case and proving that he's God. And then all of a sudden we hit chapter 13 and he begins to change his teaching style. Now, why does he do that? And I think I can relate a little bit. I don't know if this is all the reason why. But there's a burden in doing this, what I'm doing here right now. I don't do this on Sunday mornings because I like to hear myself talk and I just want to get up with a microphone and it makes me feel powerful or something. I'm the kind of guy, I could go the whole day without saying a word and I would be just fine with that. But there's a burden in doing this, speaking about the gospel to people. Because when we do this, when our teaching team does does this, we aren't up here to be the Charlie Brown teacher, right? What are we having for lunch? Right? That's not the goal of this. Our goal is that you would hear something that we have to say and that you would be able to grab on to the truth of God's word and that it would change us from the inside out. And as Jesus begins telling these parables, that's what he's doing. He's saying, okay, now I've told you about who I am. I've given you theology about the kingdom of God and about the purposes of God. And now I want to tell you some stories. And these stories don't introduce new theology. What they do is they go back and highlight what Jesus has already been teaching. As a matter of fact, the word parable literally means to come alongside. So there's stories that are meant to come alongside what Jesus has already been teaching. And the parables, Jesus doesn't even go on to say on hardly any of them, now this is what I meant. He just throws out these bite-sized chunks that illustrate the kingdom of God and says, now I want you to think. I want you to think about what the kingdom of God means, about what the purpose of God means. So as we continue through this series, that's what we want you guys to do. We want you to go back in your Bible and read. We want you to think. We want you to ask questions. I don't understand that. Why would Jesus say that? And that's what the parables were for. They were to make you think. They were also to be something that you can remember, that they would stick with you. In other words... He's going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf in a way talking about treasure that everybody can understand. They can pass it on to their kids and their grandkids saying, I heard Jesus tell this story once about treasure. So he makes it where everybody can grab onto it, ask about it, and pass it along to those that they know. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And the first five words just go like this. The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, we're going to look at two short parables today, and they both start with the kingdom of heaven is like. These are called kingdom parables, because these parables are highlighting what the kingdom of God is like. Now, Stephen talked a few weeks ago in our Creed series about heaven, about the kingdom of God. He made a great point. The kingdom of heaven is both a then, someday when you leave this earthly body, you are going to pass into eternity. The kingdom of heaven. It is a then, but the kingdom of heaven is also a right now and right here. The kingdom of heaven is both a then and it is a now. Jesus tells the disciples as he's walking with them, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is here. Because what is a kingdom? If we're thinking about it, a kingdom is where a ruler is has rule and reign, right? Especially if you're thinking, it, thinking of it in these old times, you know, when, when kingdoms would change and boundaries would change, right? If a kingdom is expanded, their boundaries change. There is more rule and reign that they have over a larger area. If another group comes in and takes over some of their land, then their land is smaller. They have less rule and reign over a certain area. The kingdom of heaven is here. It is a then, but it is also a now. In other words, the kingdom of heaven has rule and reign in my life right now. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is near, he's saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within every single one of you. As a believer, the kingdom of heaven is right here because he has rule and he has reign over my life. So Jesus says, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who lost his hammer one day, right? He's going to tell a story pretty similar to that. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a field, and in his excitement, he hid it and sold everything he owned, to get enough money to go buy the field. So this guy, he finds treasure, he hides it again, he goes back, he sells everything just to buy it and make it his. Oh, you don't like that one? Jesus got another one for you. Same story, just a little bit different context, a little bit different characters. Verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and went and bought it. So here's a guy who's searching far and wide. He runs some sort of jewelry business, right? He's a merchant. He's finding these pearls. He's taking them back. He sells them. He discovers one that is so unbelievable, he realizes it's worth more than everything he has. He's going to sell it all to go back and get that one, shop included, right? Everything is up for sale to go get that one. Here's a, a real picture. This was found not too long ago. This is the largest pearl in the world. I know it doesn't look like the nice round one. It's over 75 pounds, worth millions of dollars, found in the Philippines by a guy about 10 years ago who lives in a little shack, and he's been hiding it under his bed for 10 years, and it was just discovered it's worth millions upon millions of dollars. So one day this merchant, he finds something like that, and he says, man, I got a bunch of nice pearls. I'm getting rid of them all to go buy that one. So here's Jesus. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And you and I, if we're in the crowd, we're like the people listening to this. We're saying, okay, so what exactly are you saying? You're saying, okay, here's the kingdom of God. This guy finds treasure. This guy finds a pearl. What exactly are you saying about what the kingdom of heaven is like, which is exactly what a parable should do. It should cause us to think and ask questions. And if we are to take this as we are the ones who discover treasure because we like finding some treasure, then that's where we enter this story. And I think if that's the case, if we enter the story here, if that's what Jesus is wanting us to chew on and think about, then I think there's three questions worthy of all of us asking ourselves today. Number one, do you understand the value of what you have? Do we understand the value of what we have? Now, one thing I love about Rock Hills Church is we have people that are coming here every week that have little to absolutely no church background at all. And you feel welcome in this place, and that's why we designed this place this way, so that you could feel welcome in this place, and you could experience what we've experienced. But I want to change gears a little bit today, too, from our norm, and I want to talk to those of you who are like me, because I grew up in the church, How many of you had your diapers changed in the church, right? I've been been in church for a long time. I've been around this, this whole church thing. It's been a part of my life for longer than I can remember, right? As long as I can remember, I was in church even before that. I've grown up in church, and if I can just be real honest with you, there are times when the shine has worn off, when it's just another Sunday sitting in a service, hearing the music, listening to somebody talk, the shine has worn off a little bit. I grew up in West Texas, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with West Texas. It's hot, it's dusty, the wind blows, and it can just get really, really nasty, right? That's where I grew up. There's not a lot of water out there. Uh, As a matter of fact, I can remember there would be times when we would get a pretty good rain and there would be ditches that would fill up with water a little bit, you know, like that much. And we would be so excited. Stop the car. Look, there's water by the road. Get out. Let's take a picture. We've got a body of water here in West Texas. It seems so exciting to see water. Now, those of you who have been around water and rivers all your life, you're like, you know, what's the big deal? In West Texas, it was a big deal to see standing water on the ground because you just didn't see that very often. That's what I grew up in. However, about six years ago, uh, we had a ministry opportunity that was awesome, and we, for five years... We're serving at a church in Rockport, Texas. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rockport. It's right on the coast, uh, just north of Corpus a little bit. I've got a picture here that I'll share with you guys. This was my view every day. This was literally a block and a half from my office. I walked down there one morning, snapped a picture. And when we first moved to Rockport, the family from West Texas, we were just in awe because this is three sides of Rockport. It's on a peninsula, right? Right? And so there's, you got the sunrise and you got the sunset. Just drive a few miles to the other side. There's water everywhere and bridges. And it was absolutely fascinating. But you know what? After we lived there for a while, we didn't even see the water anymore. We just heard those dumb seagulls that wouldn't shut up. Right? The shine wore off. The fascination wore off. I've been in church long enough, and a lot of you have too. Oh, the cross, and Jesus died for us, and we're forgiven. What are we having for lunch? I mean, honestly, right? We can hear this good news, and we can hear that we're forgiven, and that Jesus has taken our place, and it doesn't faze us one bit because we've heard it before. So I want to ask you again, do you understand the value of what you have? Or has the shine wore off a bit? Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God. And when you understand what he has given you, what he is offering you, it moves you to the point where you would be willing to say, God, take everything. I just want you and I want the kingdom of God. We see a story similar to this back in Mark chapter 10. I'll just refer to it, 17 through 22. Many of you probably heard this story, but a story about the rich young ruler. Here is a guy who had everything he wanted, right? Here's Richie Rich. Everything he wanted in this life. If he wanted it, just ask for it. He's got it. He's got the money to do whatever he wants to do. This life is taken care of. He had no problem with that. What kept him up at night was what would happen after he passed away. It disturbed him so much that one day he finds Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus pushes his buttons a little bit. He says, why don't you go sell everything you have? Come back and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. The Bible says that he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus pushing his buttons. He says, you have no idea what I'm offering you. Because what I'm offering you, you're comparing to what you have at home in your garage. And they don't compare to one another. If you knew what I was offering you, you wouldn't even go back home. Just send a text. Tell your servants to take it all. And I'm going to follow you. And Jesus would have said, that's my boy. Come on, let's go. He illustrates This in two stories that we see today. A farmer and a pearl merchant. Both go back and get rid of everything that they have because they have found something that is so incredible that they realize it's more valuable than anything else in this world. Second question we need to ask ourselves. Do you see following Christ as loss or gain? Do you think Peter Watling looked at this as losing a hammer or as gaining two and a half million dollars, right? Do we see our Christian life, our walk with Christ, as loss or as gain? The kingdom of heaven, the then, man, that's, that's gain. Do, do you think any of us are one day going to walk into eternity when we pass away from this life and go, oh, man, look at this dump? Do you realize the house I gave up in North San Antonio to come to this? I don't think so. We're going to realize that everything that we have given up is gain for the kingdom of Christ. It's like, it's like a great marriage. It's not that, that I look at Tiffany and go, Oh man, I can't go out on Friday nights anymore. You know, I can't do any of that stuff. Are you kidding me? I get to be married to her. I get to be walking through life with my, my best friend and have this incredible relationship. It's stupid. That's an obvious no-brainer. Right? Do we realize that we're not losing, but we are gaining? The gospel is offering us a relationship with Christ. God himself that created the world working in and through us. We get to call him father. It's all gain. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be good enough. I can simply be his child and have everything he wants me to have, do everything he wants me to do, and be everything that he wants me to be because I have said, God, it's all gain to follow you. Jim Elliott, uh, again, going back to our Creed series, you can go back and listen to Al's messages at the beginning and at the end of the series, he tells a little bit of Jim Elliott's story. And I just want to take one quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. After he was killed, they found this in his journal. It says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He understood the kingdom of God is all gain. Do we understand what we have been given? Do we understand that we're not losing, we are gaining? Third question we need to ask ourselves, where do we look ridiculous if there is no treasure? Okay, so we we see these short stories, right? I mean, just a few sentences. And we go, okay, cool. This guy found some treasure. This guy found a pearl. They sold everything. They bought it. You know, that's great. But that's putting in a sentence or two, what took some time, what took some risk, what took some cost on these guys' behalf. And in that time between when the first guy discovered the treasure and the second guy discovered the pearl and when they were able to sell everything and go back and buy it, these two guys look like morons, right? Let's look at this. We'll call the first guy Tony, right? He's out there working in his field one day. And all of a sudden, what's that in the dirt? He sees something. He realizes he's found treasure He covers it back up, makes sure nobody sees what just happened here and walks away really quietly and begins to put together a plan. I'm going to sell everything so that I can come back and buy this field. He doesn't have much. He's a tenant farmer. If he would have had much means, he would have owned the field himself. But he's a tenant farmer, so he realizes he's got to pull together every penny that he can so that he can buy that field. So he goes home, right? The bike's for sale. The toaster oven's for sale. His golf clubs are for sale. It's all for sale. And friends and family are saying, hey, 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 what are you, what are you doing, Tony? What's going on? And while he's doing this, he can't tell people what's going on, right? He can't tell people about the treasure that he found in the field because if he tells them about the treasure, there's not going to be any more treasure. Somebody will go back and get it, right? And so he can't tell them. So in the midst of him going crazy and putting everything out on the front lawn and selling it, he looks like a complete moron. Friends and family are probably coming over. Tony, we're here today to do an intervention. We all love you. We've all written a letter. We think you've been in the sun too long and you need to go to a special place for a while, right? You're selling everything. Tony, why are you selling everything? Trust me. Tony, why are, why are you putting everything in the front line? Just trust me, right? In the middle of this process, he looks like an idiot who has lost his mind. How about the guy in the second story? We'll call him Tim. He's in the second story. He finds this pearl, and all of a sudden, he comes back and tells his wife and employees, goes into the shop and says, hey, listen, we're going to put a for sale sign on everything, even the store, right? Everything that we can sell, we're going to sell. And they're like, oh, shoot, are you in trouble? Have you been gambling? Did you go to Vegas? What, What? Nope. 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 Well, what's going on? Nope. Can't tell you. Right? I mean, he can't tell them. What is going on? And in the meantime, he looks like a fool. Because here's the deal. If there is no treasure, these guys are fools. They're making a decision that doesn't make any sense at all. So here's your homework today. If you are a Christ follower, as someone who has found the treasure in your life, is there anywhere in your life that would look ridiculous to people who have not found the treasure that you have found, right? A financial advisor should be able to look at my books and go, oh, just a second here, Mr. Harris, this, this doesn't quite make sense. You know, why why do you give this money away? You should be putting this in savings, right? Oh, we are saving, you know? Well, are you saving for retirement? No, even beyond that, you know? And he would look at us and go, okay, you guys are just nuts. Some religious nuts, Right? He should be able to look at my life and go, that doesn't make sense the way you're choosing to handle your finances. He should be able to look at your relationships or your marriage and go, somebody should go, what you're doing all this based on a book that's how old? You're living this way? You're choosing not to do this or you're you are choosing to do this because of some antique book? People should be able to look at your life and go, I think that's a little bit ridiculous, right? There should be areas in our lives because we have found treasure with the way we love people, the way we serve others, the way we handle the resources, the time, the talent, the treasure that God has given us that would look ridiculous to people who have not yet found the treasure. Because Tony and Tim, to their friends and family and neighbors, cuckoo, cuckoo, right? They look like they have lost it. Until, until that day hits when they're walking out with the treasure, right? Booyah! Drop the mic! Look what I found! And they're dragging out treasure, or he's pulling out this pearl, and everybody goes, oh, now that makes sense. We see this in 1 Corinthians as well, and I'm going to read you this uh, passage from the message, because I, I like how it, how it paraphrases it. And uh, so check this out. It's a little bit lengthy, but it says it's so good. Verse 12. Now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became a believer because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as the resurrection? If there is no resurrection, there is no living Christ. And face it, if there is no resurrection for Christ, everything we told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits were passed on to you verifying God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications, if there is no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised from the dead, then Christ wasn't. Because he was indeed raised from the dead. And if Christ weren't raised from the dead, then all we're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse than those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we are a pretty sorry lot. So Paul is saying, if this isn't the treasure, we're fools because we've missed it. But if we have found the treasure, we should be willing to look like a fool because we have found something. That 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating a baby that was born in a manger. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating a Savior that died on the cross for our sins. 2,000 years later, just the mention of the name Jesus can be a swear word or savior. If we have found something that's real, then we need to grab onto that treasure. But here's something interesting. Plot twist. All right, let's rewind it a little bit. Maybe these parables mean something entirely different. Oh, Pastor Adam, I just took notes. Are you kidding me? You just did all that for this? Follow me here for a minute. What if you're not the one who finds the treasure? What if I'm not the one who finds the treasure? What if you are the treasure? Well, I like the sound of that, Adam. Keep talking. Right? What if you are the treasure? Let's look back at the parable right before these two parables. In verse 37 of Matthew chapter 13, it says this. Jesus replied, the Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. What if, in the following two parables, the field is still the world? Let me ask you this Who is it that has come into the world to buy back and redeem the treasure that was found in the world? Maybe Jesus is telling us, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about who you are in spite of who you think you are. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sees a treasure in a field and pays the ultimate price so that he can go and buy that treasure and call it his own. Maybe it's like what we see in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That you and I should not perish. But have everlasting life. What if we are the treasure that is redeemed in the story? Well now that also matches up with theology doesn't it? That also highlights what Jesus has already been teaching doesn't it? God sent a son to sacrifice everything for you and for me. If that's the case. I want to re-ask you three questions. Similar, but a little bit different. Number one, do you understand the value of who you are? If you are the treasure, what is your value? See, something's value is determined by what? How much someone is willing to pay for it. What was the price that was paid for you? Your value could also be determined by who you are. If you are a Christ follower, the Bible tells us that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. You are valuable because of who your daddy is. Because of the price that was paid for you. You are valuable because you are a one of a kind. That is mind-blowing to think generation after generation. People all over the world, millions upon millions, and there is only one of you. I could go on about that all day long. You are of incredible value. Do you understand the value of... That you have. Second question we should ask ourselves. Do you see your life as a Christ follower. As yours. Or his. Do we simply. Manage things or does it all. Belong to him. You see if I'm a Christ follower. It's not mine anymore. Tells us in Galatians. It's no longer I who live. But it's Christ. Who lives within me. Everything. Everything. Is his. And third question. Where do we look ridiculous. If we are his treasure. I would say the thing that I have prayed over my kids life. Probably more than anything. Is God help them to see themselves the way that you see them. You see if you can see yourself. The way that God sees you. It changes everything. Obviously it changes the way you look at yourself. It Changes the way you look at others. It changes how we respond and react. It changes the way we love and serve other people. It changes how we handle money, the decisions that we make. It changes everything because now we see ourselves for who we truly are instead of what culture says that we are. I struggle with self-esteem sometimes, to be honest. And I have to remind myself of who I am. And I have to see that I am Christ. I am God's son. And because of that, I might look ridiculous at times because of the way I choose to live my life, but I choose to live it that way because I see myself as his treasure. Now, you may say, well, Pastor Adam, I like both stories. So which is it? Are we the treasure or do we find the treasure? Yes. I say both of those things are true. Well, if we could go back and ask Jesus, Jesus, could you explain this to us? Do you mean that you found the treasure or, and that it's us? Or do you mean that we find the treasure and it's you? And I think he would say, yes. You see, every one of us, we've got the opportunity to find the treasure of Christ that he is offering every one of us. And not only that, but we have the opportunity to realize that we are Christ's treasure. My prayer for all of you today is that you would know who you are. You would know how Christ sees you. And also that he would be your treasure. And maybe you've been, you've been searching this life and you've realized. I've never discovered him as treasure but I've never realized I was his treasure. If that's you today I want to pray for you. Just that God would continue that work in your heart. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father we thank you for your presence here in this room today. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to redeem us, to call us your own, Father, to make us whole. Father, I pray today for those who need to discover the treasure. Lord, that right now in their heart, Lord, they would surrender and just ask you to be the Lord of their lives. Father, I also want to pray for those of us today who maybe have sat in a service for a while and we let the shine wear off and we have forgotten how much of a treasure that we have found and how much of a treasure that we are. Lord, today would you remind us in Jesus' name, amen.